Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. My podna, Simone Malaz, is off tonight, but she's doing important work. If you all recall, we had Lauren Averill from Jefferson Parish on a few weeks ago to talk about their Coastal 101 event, and that is actually tonight. So Simone is there at Jefferson Parish's Coastal 101, engaging the good citizens of Jefferson Parish on all things coastal. So we miss her, but we're glad that she's out doing the important work. Um, But we've got an awesome show for you tonight. We have some guests on that I've been wanting to talk to from a long time. Um, You know, we've, we've highlighted a lot of the progress that's been made on Louisiana's barrier islands in particular. We've had wildlife experts talking about how they benefit birds. We've had some of the folks who have actually worked to um, construct the islands and some of the project managers. So we're excited to hear from the federal agency that has managed the mineral resources that actually go to building these islands. So um, welcome to the show, John Philistrat, um with the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. And we're going to hear from Jessica Malandine as well, who's a marine biologist with BOEM. So first up, John, um, tell us a little bit about BOEM. What is the agency's mission? So thanks. I appreciate uh, you having us on tonight. Um, So we're an agency within the U.S. uh, Department of Interior, and we manage the responsible exploration and development of offshore energy and marine minerals on the Outer Continental Shelf, uh, OCS. So um, Louisiana, for example, uh, so we manage all of the land submerged um, from three miles out um, up into the 200 or so miles out. So... um, predominantly here in Louisiana and off the coast of our state, it's oil and gas, but we also have two other programs and one we're talking about tonight, uh, the Marine Minerals Program, but we also um, uh, have the Renewable Energy Program. So no renewable energy projects in the Gulf of Mexico, but off the coast of um, uh, Eastern Seaboard, uh, we do have uh, about 14 leases, uh, renewable energy leases. So Um, We're excited about that program here and getting that started in the Gulf of Mexico as well, hopefully. Yeah, and so you all are focused here at least, um, you know, basically from Texas to Florida? Yeah, uh, Texas, um, uh, Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida, and those uh, that's the Gulf of Mexico region. Our offices are here in um, in New Orleans, um, and at boem.gov, we, um, we have um, all of our programs on there and ways to find out more information and to get engaged. Um, we, uh, we like to talk to the public, and um, if anybody wants to call us up 1-800-200-GULF, G-U-L-F. I'll get that plug in there. And um, we have a really good, robust website um, at boem.gov where you can look up all kinds of information um, about our programs. That's awesome. And, um, you know, speaking of the mar- miner- marine mem- minerals program specifically, um, tell us a little bit about that program. I mean, uh, what is the uh, the mineral that we're talking about here, or the minerals, I should say? Yeah, primarily sand. And I, I know Jessica's going to get into uh, that a little bit. But um, the snapshot is we have 55 negotiated agreements executed, 45 coastal restoration projects completed, more than um, about 150 million cubic yards of material authorized more than uh, 318 miles of shoreline restored in eight states. That's as of uh, last February. So, um, you know, it's it's a program that manages the non-energy minerals, primarily sand and gravel, um, on the OCS, Outer Continental Shelf, for coastal restoration, 
the commercial leasing of uh, um, other critical minerals as well. Um, and Jessica can get, can get more into that. So um, we're excited about our MMP program. And um, I know that uh, it's, it's one that's very vital to the country. Awesome. Well, let's bring Jessica in. Say, Jessica, welcome. Uh, you're a marine biologist with Boeing. Um, so tell us a little bit, how did you get into this work? Hi, yeah, thanks Thanks for having me on. Um, how did I get into this work? It was uh, somewhat accidental in that I um, had a really great mentor in college who suggested that I would be a really good um, government employee or bureaucrat, if you will. Um, I was really interested in kind of applied science and policy and that sort of thing. Um, so I started with the Corps of Engineers, but um, about six years ago, switched over to the Department of Interior. Um, and that's mostly because being from a science background, I was really invested in in the science um, of kind of what was going on and management decisions. And, and BOEM has a really robust science program that focuses on really understanding the impacts of, of what we do out, out there in the Gulf. That's awesome. And, um, you know, you're a marine biologist, and we've actually had folks on the show before who are field biologists. Um, so how do those differ? I, I think you could really kind of nail down it, nail it to like how, what is the what is the use of the science that's being collected? So um, we do come up with our own science plans and initiatives. We usually contract those out um, to fill in data gaps. And the best way to view it is we don't collect science or don't do science for the sake of science. We do it to make the best management decisions possible to really understand what's happening out there in the environment from the things that we're regulating and managing, and then best pathways forward on how to mitigate uh, or limit risk or endangerment of, of anything that may be out there. Yeah, and we're going to talk um, in the next segment a little bit about what that means in terms of actually restoring or building uh, you know, a barrier island. Um, but specifically, I mean, for you now, so you're also focused mainly in the Gulf. Right. Yep. I've I've been down in I've been in the Gulf now for six years. It's it's very different from my Atlantic home, but uh, I love I love it down here. It's do you great. like both coasts, the uh, Atlantic I do. and Gulf? You know, there's certainly a difference in that the Gulf of Mexico tends to be more of what I, what we would call a working coast. Right. We have a, a few more um, industries that are here, um, a few more competing interests, which really does kind of play into these the discussion about bear islands and management of resources and and how to best um, utilize the resources that we have between all these different um, entities um, we call them multiple use conflicts yeah. um, and there's quite a few here in the Gulf oh, yes we've, we've <laughs> yeah. explored a lot of those yes. on the show in yeah. the past but um, it just shows that everyone really cares about these resources um, and the value that they provide um, so you know we focus a lot on careers here on Delta dispatches and the opportunity that exists for people to actually go forth and do the work like you're doing so um, you know being a marine biologist for Boeing, I mean, what advice would you give for that scientist out there who's either an undergrad, grad school, considering a similar career? Um, my biggest advice would probably be don't discount um, the federal agencies that are out there. There are a lot of great scientists within all of these agencies that do a lot of really great work and who really do have that um, environmental background and consciousness um, and I think that gets somewhat dismissed, particularly in the academic realm, um, where you're kind of perceived in a somewhat negative light when you work for some of these government agencies. And I think that narrative isn't 
isn't really valid. So when you're really kind of in the academic, uh, academic world and trying to figure out what you're going to do with your future, um, the government is a great place to be. And like I said, one of the reasons I love working for the agency that I do is because it is so science-based in all of its decision-making processes. That's great. And I'm sure it's so rewarding to kind of see the impact of the science that you're doing and the work that you're doing in your agency um, in these projects that are constructed. So on the jobs front, um, John, you mentioned that you all actually are doing a little bit of recruiting and you might have a jobs fair coming up yeah so we travel around the country most mostly the southeast uh, portion of the country uh, for job fairs and go to uh, universities we're at southern we're at lsu at uno i believe next week and so come check us out um go on boom.gov and and see what's available um we have an about jobs page that links you to the federal jobs page um so yeah a lot of disciplines um that uh, work at boom including you know engineers and marine scientists and biologists and and um you know geoscientists there's a lot out there so um you know if you're interested uh, come check us out great and um you know we're about to head into a break and when we come back we're going to talk to jessica about some of the projects she's worked on the projects that we've highlighted on this show before um but one more time john give us the website and the uh, phone number sure we're at boem.gov and the phone number is 1-800-200-GULF g-u-l-f Awesome. Well, we are here today um, discussing a number of topics with friends from the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. And you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. 
And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. Um, it is time for the Coastal Stat of the Week, and this is from BOEM's website. For more than 20 years, BOEM has provided OCS SAN resources to complete 45 coastal restoration projects and convey, through negotiated agreements, nearly 150 million cubic yards of material to coastal communities and federal agencies, such as the Navy, Air Force, NASA, and the National Park Service. The amount of sand would cover the entire borough of Manhattan to a depth of more than six feet. That's a lot of sand. Um, and we're here to talk with one of the people that helps get that sand to the places it needs to be, Jessica Malandine. Marine biologist with Boehm. So, Jessica, we have to kind of have full disclosure here. Um, since we are speaking to Jonathan Foray after this with the Ruguru Fest, you were actually my coach a, a lifetime ago, or many moons ago, not so many, um, for the Crescent City Ruguru, which is an all inclusive rugby team here in New Orleans. Um, you've also coached Tulane women's rugby team to many national championships. So, how, first of all, how are the Ruguru doing? Oh, the Ruger are great. They've they've really taken off. They're a great group of guys. Uh, they're fun. Um, we just got back from Charlotte this past weekend where they competed in their first big tournament of the year. So um, things are looking bright for the Rougarou. That's awesome. And and how many uh, national championships have you won with the Tulane women's team? We've gone to the final four the last four years and brought home the trophy, two of those. That is amazing. Are there parallels between your rug your life as a rugby coach and your life uh, working at Boehm? Or? I'd like to think that there weren't, but I'm sure there are lots of, of overlap, uh, passion being one of them. I, I love to talk about rugby about as much as I love to talk about sand awesome. and barrier islands. <laughs> well, love it. And I can attest to Jessica being an amazing coach. Um, and, you know, I miss my Ruguru dearly, but I keep in touch and wish them the best. So um, getting back to the topic at hand. Um, so, you know, we've, we've mentioned this, but BOEM has really done a lot to build some impressive large scale coastal restoration projects, um, particularly here in Louisiana. So um, what are some of the projects that you've worked on? So we've had a couple recently that really have kind of um, started this trend here in the Gulf of Mexico where they're going offshore to get OCS material. Um, and you kind of heard earlier that we're talking about federal waters, so it's a good ways off that the sand is coming from. And it's not been until recently that we've really had the money to be able to go out that far and get sand and bring it in. Um, so projects like the Caminata Headlands, which is down near, uh, it's Elmer's Island, I think, um, that sits in front of Port Fouchon. That one was one of the first major ones and, and was one of the largest barrier island restoration projects that had been conducted um, ever. ever yeah. yeah, for a long time. Um, there's been a couple since then. Whiskey Island, which is also known as Caillou Lake in this region. Um, and then even more recently, uh, actively being constructed is the Mississippi Coastal Improvements Program, which is restoring ship and cat island in Mississippi. Yeah, and that's a great point that, I mean, obviously we focus a lot on the show about um, the work in Louisiana, and we've had folks on to talk about Caminata. I've been to Caminata several times, Whiskey Island. Um, I was out there while they were pumping. It was pretty exciting. And then um, we, our 360 video actually highlights Whiskey Island um, as part of it. But you're doing work in Mississippi and Texas. Um, they're also doing some of the barrier island restoration as well. Yep. 
absolutely. And I think one of the things that, even if you're talking about neighboring states, one of the benefits is when you're talking about OCS material is that you're bringing sand or sediment into a system. So not necessarily reusing the same material over and over again, which has traditionally been the way that we do restoration projects. We stay close to home to get the material to build the islands, but it's, it's very different when you're bringing in new material to supplement a budget, a sediment budget deficit. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Louisiana, that's very significant because we are definitely in the negative for um, sediment input into the system. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that, you know, I just have found so interested when I visited these islands or kind of learned about their construction. I mean, uh, one of the sources is Shipshoal, is that correct? Yep, um, so right. tell us a little bit about Shipshoal and like how, I mean, where does Boehm fit in in terms of the actual getting the material from Shipshoal to you know, Caminata or Whiskey Island in terms of the restoration. Right. So Ship Shoal is um, a relic island, um, deltaic platform, I think is the way that they phrase that. I am not a geologist, though, so I'll go ahead and caveat that statement with sorry if I got that wrong. Um, but what Boehm ends up doing, I, like in the case of Ship Shoal, when you want material, is, is we provide the um, leasing mechanism for someone to go out and extract material from federal lands, essentially. Um, they're submerged lands, but lands nonetheless. So um, there's a lot of regulatory permitting that needs to happen. There's a lot of environmental analysis that needs to happen. Um, but our role specifically is to facilitate access to those resources and make sure that the projects that are being constructed are done in the best way possible. Um, so my role really comes in and making sure that um, from an environmental perspective, we're making good decisions about how the work's being constructed and that we really understand um, the impacts of, of choosing to go pull material from places like Ship Shoal um, and what that means long term for the, the environment offshore. And in talking about the multiple users of these resources and even the complexity of going that far out and that deep to get the material and getting it closer to shore, I mean, you all, there must be so much coordination that happens and so much, you know, um, uh, need to work with others. So who are some of the partners that you work with on, on these projects? So in, in the state of Louisiana, the our biggest partner is the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority. They, they are great partners and um, the leads on a lot of these projects that we have um, going on in this region. Um, but we work with pretty much all the state entities, um, federal resource agencies like the Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, um, other organizations like that. Um, and the, the neat part about the Gulf of Mexico is because these projects are so large, it really does take a village really to build them. Um, so you usually get a lot of input from a lot of different agencies and individuals and organizations, nonprofits, that sort of thing. Uh, and you all, everyone really does have to come together to make, to make these projects happen um, and to the benefit of everyone. So it's it's definitely a collaborative effort and one that Boehm's really happy to be a part of. That's you know just really amazing to, to see these like massive large-scale projects being done. And you know sometimes people might get frustrated or feel like, oh, not enough is, progress is being made given the urgency of our crisis and kind of the weight of it all. But then to see all these pieces come together and to see a massive restoration project like the Caminata Headlands or Whiskey Island completed is just astounding. So for you particularly, I mean, what is it like when you're walking on a newly restored island that you know you helped re restore and, and create? 
It's 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 surreal, really. Uh, in a lot of these places, what you're walking on is is or what was formerly water or what had become water, and you've brought it back to what it was. Um, and for me, it it's the it's um, years and years of hard work finally being fulfilled, where we can say, you know, all this effort that we've put into this, all this money. Um, and it's here, and it's stable, and we've protected something that could have potentially disappeared completely. You know, once once these islands are gone, they're gone. There's no bringing them back. You know, you're you're just that's it. Um, so for us to be able to kind of stop that process in its tracks, kind of reverse it, bring it back to some point in its past, um, to give it a, a fighting chance of continuing to protect us us dwellers <laughs> on the coastal zones. Um, uh, is it's really important. It really makes me appreciate my job. <laughs> That's uh, pretty awesome to think, you know, line on my resume. I helped rebuild one of the largest spare islands on Louisiana's uh, uh, coast, and now you're doing it on Mississippi. So you mentioned um, the work in Mississippi. What else is going on in your world right now? Well, I, th I think the state of Louisiana just had a couple new projects that they announced. Uh, the Terrebonne Basin Project is going to be starting pretty soon, so we're really excited about that. That one's been several years in the making, um, a lot of hard work from a lot of individuals. And where will that be? Um, that Terrebonne Parish, yeah. right? <laughs> um, where exactly? Shout out to Simone. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so it'll be one of their islands offshore, and it, actually that project is, is a couple islands. Mm -hmm. I think it's Timbalier Island. Um, West Bell Headland is part of that as well. So there's a few islands that make up this Terrebonne Basin project. Um, but kudos to the state of Louisiana. They've been doing a great job about really putting together a comprehensive plan on how they, how they plan to protect and restore um, their barrier islands. Yeah, great to see that progress. And, and you mentioned it and talking about the other states, but I feel like you know a lot of the other states are starting to take that lead and, and kind of put resources behind um, this work. And so um, we've mentioned it on the show, but Louisiana is a model in a lot of ways for those, those other states in the Gulf and, and nationally. It really is. It really is. Awesome. Well, Jessica, it is so great to have had you on the show. Um, I love when our worlds collide in this way, Rougarou and, uh, and Coastal. Um, please come back when you have more updates. We'd love to have you on anytime. And one more time, where can people go to get information about BOEM and uh, just learn more? Certainly. So BOEM.gov is the website. Um, if you want to learn more about the Marine Minerals Program, there's actually a tab there, and it'll give you all the latest and greatest stats, similar to what you heard Jacques uh, list off. Um, but yeah, BOEM.gov is the place to go for all your information. Awesome. Well, we are uh, going to shift from the coach of the Crescent City Rougarou to the organizer of the Rougarou Fest. But um, we're so grateful for um, Jessica Malandine and John Philistrat from BOEM for being on Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. You're on the ASPN Network. Coastal news for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. My Padna Simone Malaz is off for the night. Um, she is busy at Jefferson Parish's Coastal 101. So she's engaging the residents of Jefferson Parish on all things coastal. Although I feel like tonight is kind of a Terrebonne night, and, and Simone's not here. I mean, we were talking about the restored barrier islands in Terrebonne. Now we have a dear friend of, of Simone's 
friends and mine um, who's been on the show before to talk about an event in Terrebonne. So I don't know, Simone, I'm holding down the Terrebonne fort for you, but that's okay. My home ancestors are, are happy about that, I'm sure. So welcome back to Delta Dispatch's Jonathan Foray, Executive Director of the South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center. Hey, thanks so much. It's good to be on the show. Jonathan, I know it is a busy time of year for you. I mean, it, it's almost Halloween, which means it's almost time for the Rougarou Fest. It doesn't really feel like it, but I think we're going to get a cold front soon. What do you think? But we've got our fingers crossed for that as well, because it's, uh, it, there's definitely a Rougarou Fest in the air. And so, uh, yeah, it's time for that cold front to get here. Okay, well, if you say it and if the Rougarou spirit is, is putting <laughs> it out there, then I, I believe you. So um, yeah. how has your summer been? wonderful it really has we've had we've had so many great programs that we're doing um at the discovery center and then it just falls into rugaru fest and there's no rest for the weary my friend and you know that you know in the business that that we're in um it's always a lot of work and it's always very rewarding um we've got two great programs right now that we're we're doing in some terrible parish uh public schools one is dealing with uh, hurricane stories. Some students in um, environmental science classes at South Terrebonne High School are collecting stories from the elders of their community to try to identify maybe a, a common thread of resilience and how our people deal with storms, how we prepare for them, and then um, how, how we go through them, and then also how we recuperate from them. Uh, and so it's been nice that the kids get to interact with the, the, the elders in their community um, in that way. And we're also doing, I mean, I know that you're familiar with the LA Safe program mm -hmm. uh, that we all just went through. Um, we're also doing a program called Project Resilience, and it's pretty much LA Safe for kids. And so we're working within four public high schools in Terrebonne Parish. Um, where we go through a similar process where the students come up with and identify projects that can be implemented on their school campuses, and they each get $10,000 to be able to implement that resiliency project, you know? Um, so we're really excited about participating in, in all of that. And then, of course, we've got our Coastal Classroom program. Um, all, uh, all the fan favorites, you know, yeah. um, we, we keep it all going. That's, I mean, that's incredible. And, you know, I, I'm sure this resonates with you. It certainly does with me, you know, growing up in, in South Louisiana, hearing the stories from your mama and your papa about that hurricane, you know, whether it was Betsy or Flossie or whatever, and just the impact that that had on their lives. And then, I mean, obviously some of us have experienced our own hurricanes, right? So it's something that impacts, um, you know, that, that, that the storytelling, but also our lives directly that it's almost this thing that we carry down through the generation. So to engage right. students, you know, um, on that and help them express it and, and, and explore those topics, I think is so important. And then also the broader coastal education, coastal literacy. I know I, ch I was chatting with Simone actually earlier today and they just had their event um, last night where they brought in a bunch of the, um, high school students to talk about um, coastal careers. Actually, it was today. What am I talking about? It was today that they did that and <laughs> brought in people from all over and, and had a chance to connect with different professionals that are working in the coastal space. So, I mean, between you and Simone, the uh, students of Terrebonne and Lafouche parishes are well, uh, you know, set to, to take on the challenges that our coast brings them. So do you find that, Jonathan, that... Um, you know, in terms of uh, coastal awareness, environmental awareness. I mean, are these are the younger generations, 
you know, do they do they care more? Or are they kind of more engaged in these topics than maybe even we were growing up? We're, we are actually seeing an increase in that because we get to, like, for example, our coastal classroom programs start about three years now. And so what we've seen when we've been in the classroom is that when we first started, it was it was actually a little bit disappointing at the lack of knowledge that these kids had about the area that they live in. And so as we started to get into, you know, we, we get the kids and we're in the classrooms in third grade. And so now those third graders are in sixth grade that, you know, the ones that we've, we've taught that first time. And so we're seeing um, a retention of that information that we're teaching them. And then by the time that they get into these environmental science classes, they're really plugged in. Um, and what's look? And I'm gonna—I'll be perfectly honest with you. I remember being a high school student, um, and and the, the the folks at our school were like, "Oh yeah, the environmental science class. That's the class that you take because it'll be an, an easier one to pass." And um, yeah, just sign me up for that. That has changed tremendously, and I'm so thankful for that because at some of the schools where we work in, there's there's AP environmental science classes, and there's also an honors environmental science class taking place. And so that shift has really taken place over a generation or two where that, that topic is no longer just sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever. That topic is being taken seriously by our young people now, and I'm I'm super thankful for it because we're gonna we're gonna depend on them to to help fix these issues if they can or figure out ways that we can continue to live here for as long as possible and as successfully as possible. You know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and that's so encouraging to hear that. Um, you know, in terms of that engagement and that awareness, and also the offerings of those classes, and you know, certainly environmental science, it definitely connects with people directly. It's something that I'm sure a lot of the kids, particularly growing up in, in your area. Um, can understand and they've seen it themselves in their lifetimes as well as, um, you know, and through stories through their families and their grandparents. So, Jonathan, we're about to head into a break, but we have to have you back to talk about Rougarou Fest in the next segment. Do you mind holding on through the break? I'd love that. All right. And um, real quick, where can people go to get information about all these wonderful programs through the South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center? Yep, you can go to our website and it's S lwdc.org awesome well we're going to talk about this big event that has you very busy and it's going to have everyone uh having a lot of fun very soon when we come back from the break real quick how's beignet doing beignet sends his regards says hello and he loves you all (laughs) awesome all right well we'll be right back with jonathan foray we're talking about the rougarou fest as well as the south louisiana wetlands discovery center you're listening to delta dispatches and we'll be right back after the break From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and it is time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. This week's Coastal Voice is Jamie in Clinton, Louisiana. Jamie says, I love my Louisiana, and I wish wish to keep it all together because it's our heaven on earth. Let's help the boot become a little less ragged. 
Um, well, we couldn't agree with you more, Jamie. And reminder, you can always submit your coastal voice anytime at restorethecoast.org. We might read it on the air one day. So welcome back, Jonathan. Um, let's get this over with since, you know, it's an obligatory part of the show. Um, our fun question <laughs> for you is, uh, thinking of a Rougarou Fest, what is the favorite Halloween, your favorite Halloween costume you've ever worn? Oh, I think that, um, all right. So I was, I'm a kid of the 80s. So all those Stranger Things stuff, like, that speaks my truth, right? Yeah. And so I had that plastic um, costume that we all had that came in the little box in the 80s. And it was a Casper the Friendly Ghost <laughs> costume that that was my favorite. And fun fact, thank, you know, thank God, goodness for the, the, uh, for, for the eBay, right? Because I found that very costume on eBay and was able to uh, bring it back into my life. So, yes, that was my favorite costume as a that kid. That is incredible. 80s costumes. What, what was your? What was your? Uh-oh. Uh, you're turning the fun question around. I, you know, I was I was always the default pirate. I loved pirate costumes. In fact, I had, like, the same pirate costume that I think I wore for, like, three or four Halloweens in a row just because I loved it so much. And then right. even beyond right. Halloween, I'm like, these pants are really comfortable. I'm just going to wear these pirate pants <laughs> on, like, a random Tuesday in July. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, back to, to more serious matters. So um, the Rougarou Fest has been named one of the best events in South Louisiana and one of the top 10 best costume parties in the entire United States by USA Today. So that's pretty cool. Um, it's yeah. right around the corner. So tell us again, for those who don't know, and I don't know how they don't know, but they should know, <laughs> what is the Rougarou Fest? When is it? And what, what all is going down uh, at the Rougarou Fest? Yeah, so, I mean, our tagline is if the Rugaru doesn't have a place to live, then neither will we. And so for for those folks listening who may not know what the Rugaru is, it's sort of our, uh, our Cajun werewolf. It's a, um, a character in our folklore that we celebrate at this festival um, because it's, it's uniquely ours. And so um, at the fest we have, um, you know, we, we were counting it today in terms of different groups who volunteer at the festival and we have well over 500 people who come together to bring this event to life each year and that includes the rugaru witches who perform in our uh our parade we we have a krugaru parade and there are also uh the thriller zombies and there's the rocky horror picture show folks but then We've got we've got tons of folks who um, who really work hard to prepare all of the delicious food that we have to offer. Um, we've got uh, the arts and crafts vendors. We've got kids activities. We're we're adding something new this year that I'm really looking forward to to seeing, and it's a narrative stage um, because we really wanted to bring in the culture and heritage of the area. Um, to the forefront and give people an opportunity to talk about their experiences and have other folks from out of town. And, I mean, we've, we've been contacted on Facebook and via email um, from people from different countries that are excited about coming to HOMA and uh, enjoying the festival with us. But the, so the narrative stages will have topics like um, Louisiana French, and have, we'll have a discussion about um, what, what that looks like in Terrebonne Parish and ways that we may be able to improve, um, improve on that and have more 
of our uh, French language influence scene in, in our community. Um, we also have uh, a panel on traditional medicine with uh, medicinal plants. And so I'm excited about that one. We've got a hurricane stories one. We've got uh, folklore. We've actually got Glenn Petrie. I'm not sure um, if all of your listeners are familiar with Glenn, but he is an amazing, amazing storyteller, director, writer. Um, and so he's going to be uh, doing his Rugaru tales on our narrative stage. Um, another thing that we're super excited about, you know, thinking about that French language connection, we've got Sweet Crude that's going to be closing out the festival on Sunday. They're, they're going to start playing at 3 o'clock. And this band is, you know, potentially going to be responsible for keeping French language alive in certain communities because they sing in Louisiana French, but they sing in a more indie pop sort of style. And so, um, so it's catchy to younger folks. And so I, I think they're doing a wonderful job. They actually are releasing on um, October 18th their new single called, what do you think, Rougarou. So uh -huh. they've got this whole, yeah, it's going to be great. And I was able to listen to the song already. And it's just fun, and it's cool, and it keeps those, those ideas and that spirit alive. That is, that's Another awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And look, if I'm talking too much, you'd be like, oh, <laughs> no, we got to go to commercial. No, I th we're stuff. good. It just shows how much literally is happening at the Rugaru Fest and how awesome of a festival it is. So please keep going. What, what else is going yeah. on? Look, another thing we're super excited about is um, we've got uh, this group of ladies who make quilts, and they've deemed themselves the Rugaru quilters. And so we had a discussion about how can we create a quilt that tells the story of land loss and tells the story of our community. And these ladies have gotten together and they are making a ghost forest quilt. And so what we've done is we've taken pictures of the five bayou communities, Ponachamp, Montague, the Chauvet-Cocadri area, and the Grand Cayuac area, and then Dularge. We've gone and taken pictures of the dead oak trees, and those trees are dying both from subsidence and also from uh, saltwater intrusion. Um, we've taken pictures of them. We have, we have projected them on fabric. And at the festival, people that attend the festival can work on the tree um, from the community that they best identify with. You know, like for me, I grew up in Chauvin, so I would want to participate in creating. Um, it's it's going to be a textile work of art more than anything. And at the end of it, we have these these trees representing these particular communities made in fabric and made into a quilt. And that quilt is going to be displayed um, in the Water Life Museum. So it just goes to show how everybody's got a piece of this story. You know, the, these ladies who are quilters. Um, are participating in telling the story of land loss in coastal Louisiana. And I just think that that's, that's beautiful. And it, and it goes to show that we all have a role in, in telling this story and doing what we can um, to preserve what we've got left, to rebuild what we can, to be more resilient. Um, I love that. 
I love that about this festival. Yeah, I really do. and I mean, uh, certainly there's no shortage of amazing food, the parade, the costumes, the music, the fun. But what I love so much is like, I mean, there's literally no festival like that, not just in Louisiana, but in the world. Um, but the the connection to the culture and the heritage and the preservation and and tying in the environment and and you know just what you were talking about with the with the quilts. I mean, it shows just how much people care not just about their environment and their coast, but their communities and how interconnected those things all are. I mean, we, we heard about the ghost uh, swamps and ghost forests, forests through some national coverage. Um, people were talking about it, what's happened on the East Coast. We're like, yeah, we're, we're well aware of that in, in Louisiana. But um, it's great to see the, 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 the way that you all are taking that issue um, and, 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 you know, championing it towards uh, preservation of community and preservation of culture. So, Jonathan, um, we only got a few minutes left, but I really want to make sure people know. So when is the Rugaru Fest? Where can they get more information about it? Um, yeah, just the details. Um, so it's October 26th and 27th. It's a Saturday and a Sunday. It's in downtown Homa. Um, and you can visit our website at rugarufest.org um, to get more information. There's, yeah, anything you ever wanted to know about the Rugaru Fest is online on our website. And it's fun, you know, for the family, for kids, and I hear pets as well. Yeah, it's pet friendly. Um, you know, I mean, of course, we've got parish ordinances. You, you, everybody, ha the, the pets have to be on a leash. Um, but yeah, there, there are, uh, there's a costume contest for the, the pets. And each year, um, it becomes more and more um, entertaining. And it's, uh, yeah, I'll have to you, go to our Facebook page. You can look at pictures from previous years. And you're going to look at these dog costumes, and it's like they, they build an entire set, like a theatrical set around their pet. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant. All so, you yeah. New Orleans Instagrammers out there, you better get to the Ruguru Fest because <laughs> there is no better opportunity. Not just New Orleans. I shouldn't be excluding others, but uh, opportunity to Instagram than probably this festival. Um, Jonathan Foray, Executive Director of South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center. Thank you so much for being on the show. One more time, where can people go to get information about the Ruguru Fest? Our website is rugarufest.org. Thanks so much, bud. Thank you for coming on. I know you're super busy, so we really appreciate it. Definitely go and check out the Rugaru Fest um, October 26th through the 27th in Homa. You will not regret it. I mean, spend the weekend there um, and enjoy it. And thank you to Jonathan for all the work he's doing with those communities and, and on our coast. Another great show. I did miss Simone. You know, I'm starting to feel withdrawals. It's been two shows without her, but I know she's out there doing important work. Um, and so we'll be back together next week on Delta Dispatches. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife.